Welcome back, Brown Girls, to another podcast episode. Today, we are joined by two amazing women to discuss Black women's health care. Carmen Green, the Vice President of Research and Strategy at the National Birth Equity Collaborative, and one of my friends, Melanie Newman, Senior Vice President of Communications and Culture at the Planned Parenthood Federation of America. Ladies, how are you? Thank you for joining us today. Thank you for having us. Doing well. Thank you. Glad to be here. So I just love seeing Black women who are all about supporting, uplifting other Black women, especially when it comes to healthcare. So first question is, what brought each of you to this work? Melanie, I'll start with you. Melanie and I used to work at the DNC together. She came down for the convention in Charlotte, and I've just been able to see her do so many badass, amazing things like just your communication strategy, everything that you do, you're amazing. So what made you fall in love with this work? Thank you. So I, I'll, I'll say what, what brought me to Planned Parenthood is my commitment to, well, the through line through my entire career. It's not just Planned Parenthood. The through line in my career is my commitment to Black people and impact positively impacting the lives of Black people. So before Planned Parenthood, I worked in government I've done housing policy. I've done criminal justice work at the Justice Department and at the NAACP Legal Defense Fund. And I came to Planned Parenthood to work in health equity. Uh, It's core to Planned Parenthood's mission and uh, connects with me in a very real way as a Black woman, as a Black mother, ensuring and expanding access to sexual and reproductive health care, particularly for Black women, is incredibly important to me. So that's why I'm here. Carmen, how about you? Yes, indeed. Well, so my journey to health equity and what I do now at National Birth Equity Collaborative has really come from my genuine interest in learning more about my own um, my own story, my own freedom. Like on my healing journey, I find that there are these different uh, these different points where I um, become closer with an entire tribe and learn that there are folks all over the country and world who are interested in what I'm also interested in. So, um, for example, I was on my healing journey from, um, from sexual assault and abuse. And through that, through that experience, I started to learn about public health. I started to learn that there are entire organizations that focus on reproductive justice and reproductive freedom, um, that there are organizations that um, do this work on a policy level. And so as I ascend in my own healing and in my own life journey, I find that there are just hundreds of thousands of other Black women who are also seeking their own freedom um, through their work and their activism and advocacy. And so that's how I found myself um, doing birth justice and birth equity work today. I appreciate you both just so much for what you do, for caring so much about Black women's health care. And we're going to dive into it a little bit more. One of the first things that I want to talk about is the Black Maternal Health Momnibus Act. I just love that name. It was reintroduced into Congress by Representatives Lauren Underwood, Alma Adams, and Senator Cory Booker. So can you both just dive in a little bit more about this act and 
why it's really important to Black women. And Carmen, we can start with you. Most definitely. So Carmen got really excited. She's like, oh, I I know it. I love talking about it. (laughs) I'm telling you, I love talking about it because it's been years in the making. Thinking of the leadership over decades of people uplifting the Black maternal health crisis. And now we're at this point where we have a Momnibus Act. So it was first introduced when at least the Black maternal health caucus was created in 2019. And that's when the pressure really started. But um, the caucus itself is exciting because it's like one of the largest acts that is like now moving through the federal legislative process. And that just speaks so much to how this issue connects with individuals. We all viscerally know how important it is to care for a mom, to care for our own mothers. And so when these stories are told, um, these devastating stories of um, like preventable death and long-term chronic conditions for Black mamas, I'm pleased that that it's connecting with so many legislators, but Um, Right now, it's a package of 12 bills that hit on all different kinds of things. It's just um, really nice to hear the breadth of policy change that's within the Momnibus. But um, its purpose is to fill in gaps in existing legislation to address every dimension of the Black maternal health crisis. It seeks to make critical investments in social determinants of health, provides funding to community-based organizations. It grows and diversifies the perinatal workforce and improves data collection and quality measures because our healthcare system is so like interestingly, like this private corporal thing, we've also got to um, make as many like data and quality improvement expectations on the federal level that we can so that these private healthcare institutions can rise up and meet that challenge in their states as well. And I wanna dive in a little bit more to something that you talked about and have Melanie talk about this because I've seen you talk about it a lot on your Twitter account is on a previous episode of the podcast, I was very honest about the fact that my friends, like we have conversations about like, do I want to have children? Because you see so many Black women dying from preventable deaths, you know, very healthy women. So also if you think, okay, if I have a pre-existing condition or women say now I've had COVID, I don't know how COVID will impact, you know, me giving birth, my labor and delivery. And a lot of people are like, I just, I don't understand that concern. So like, Melanie, can you just kind of like dive in a little bit more about how this is a serious issue for Black women, the fact that you have to think about the care that you're going to receive as a Black woman in this country if you want to have a family? Yeah, I I personally know two women who died in childbirth recently um, in, the, in the last few years. One is a sorority sister of mine who died giving birth to her first child. Another is a woman who worked on the Hill that uh, I know through uh, our professional network of Black women communicators also, and she was young. She might've been in her 20s, um, who passed away giving birth to her first child. Childbirth is scary. I did it. It's scary. It's terrifying. I had to have an emergency C-section. That's a very big surgery. Uh, And I experienced the fear of 
the doctors who were on call when I gave birth or when I was in labor uh, were not doctors I was familiar with. I didn't know them. I have a line sister who is an OBGYN, so I had her on speed dial. And every time they told me I needed to have a C-section, I would call my line sister for her to confirm because I don't know you people standing in front of me. I know that I am a black woman who maybe, you know, I, I'm privileged enough to have a line sister that I can call who's an OBGYN and who can give me, who, who I can trust. But in that moment, didn't trust the doctors uh, who were who were caring for me necessarily. And so I, I have experienced birth. It is scary. It can be um, traumatic and it can result in death. I've seen it happen. And so I think women are right to think about their own health options and decisions like whether to parent or not based on how they view their their own lives and their health. And that's the importance of fighting for access and reproductive health and reproductive justice uh, is understanding that Black women have very different considerations when it comes to childbearing. Organizations like Carmen's organization and the, repro- the other organizations in the reproductive justice movement have been leading this fight for decades. And uh, Planned Parenthood is just happy to stand with all of them uh, as, as they continue this fight and, and obviously to support the Momnibus. What advice would you all give to our listeners who are interested in learning more about how to support Black women's health care, especially during childbirth, how to support the Monobus Act? Because I did also like the feedback that people were curious about the conversation, but they also wanted to show, like, how can I stand in solidarity with Black women? I'll take that one. One, Melanie, I would... Uh, I just want to give you the opportunity to maybe say their names because I really felt that when you said that. Mm-hmm. And when we open up these conversations with each other, it's, it's every day um, in conversation, we all know someone who has is, who is personally been affected, who's lost their lives, a family who has lost um, a treasure. So... I am uh, gripping my hands very tightly. If if I'm going to keep it together through this conversation, I would, I will keep. I want to. This hard, so uh, thank you for that. I appreciate it. Thank you. I just wanted to hold space for that because that's really real, and I don't ever want us to have to gloss over it. But something else that you said is also so true. Like now, culturally, we're all thinking of protecting ourselves and making different reproductive choices, just being aware of the of the state and the standard of disrespectful care. It's almost like we go into our childbirth experiences on defense already. And that is such a disservice to Black women and women of color. And now that we know that that is that we're in this Black maternal health crisis, that there is a standard, that there is a, some always a running expectation of some mess to happen. You know, we are on the defensive and I would really hope that in our near future, have a system that we can trust in again, that we won't have to come in with a defensive posture. I believe the Momnibus is is one way for us to get there. Also um, dismantling racism in all the ways 
dismantling all of this institutional and structural racism that we feel and we see and that has permeated our communities. Um, one way you ask for like, how can people get involved is being active in their local communities to, to invest in and raise the profile of these black women led community-based organizations. Mm -hmm. There are so many doula collectives and mm -hmm. like, and um, mom groups, um, breastfeeding support groups, anything that's about family health and wellness has got to get more eyes on it, more investment, more dollars, more people engaging, because that will help support the local movements. And then there's the other side of it that's more legislative action on your state and with your state congressmen and women who are representing you at the federal level to keep pinging them. Because the more they see going on in, I guess, in the local town that you're in, they, they're going to have that bug in their ear as they go back to Capitol Hill and have to attend these committee meetings. They'll mm -hmm. know it's something that constituents care about and are looking for. Um, so yeah, making sure they, they know your interests and the issues that they need to represent you on, for sure. And follow the National Birth Equity Collective and um, Carmen and Dr. Joya Career-Perry uh, Black Mamas Matter, uh, get information there uh, um, from from those organizations that are that are leading this work at the national level as well. You know that that is certainly where where my my support goes and where I, where I give my information. But just for information and and for where to support, look for those Black women led organizations like. National Birth Equity Collective. Well, thank so, you. Yeah. Oh, wait, I, I just, I want to acknowledge that. That's so sweet of you to say. And um, we're also just wanting to put more attention on PPFA as well. Like I yes. can, oh, you know, yeah. turn in the, your communications and like making sure folks know that you all are on the, on the path to reproductive justice as well. Raising up Black women leaders is excellent. Uh, also, Black Thank Mamas you. Matter Alliance. Um, Black Mamas Matter Alliance is sponsoring their annual Black Maternal Health Week, mm -hmm. which is in April. And so they're also doing a conference and training institute during that time. So to just really be connected and see who's doing what in different states. I'm sure they'll they'll all put a battery in our back. They're going to give us more <laughs> charge and more direction, right. more energy. And Planned Parenthood has been a, a proud supporter of Black Maternal Health Week. So, and we always participate. And thank you for saying that, Carmen. I appreciate it. <laughs> yes. More of the conversation after this short break. Need birth control, but don't want to sit in a waiting room to get it? Planned Parenthood's got you covered with telehealth birth control appointments by phone or video. You can talk with a trusted nurse or doctor during a virtual visit. They'll discuss your options and help you decide which method is best for you. A prescription will be delivered to your door, to a local pharmacy, or someone will help you set up an in-person visit if you choose an insertion method. Just like an in-person visit, your Planned Parenthood telehealth appointment is high quality, affordable, and private. Skip the waiting room and get the care you need when you need it. 
Planned Parenthood takes the stress out of healthcare and is ready when you are. Check out plannedparenthood.com slash telehealth to learn more and to book a virtual appointment. That's plannedparenthood.com slash telehealth. No, I love it. I love all the love. I love the support. That's why I'm so glad we have like you two together. You're just the embodiment of Black women lifting each other up in addition to all the amazing work that you do. And like one of the things that I want to add is people are going to be like, Ashanti is such a broken record, but also run for office. People ask me why I talk about Congresswoman Underwood so much. We need nurses in Congress. We need doctors in Congress because of these conversations that we're having. Like right now, there's actually only one woman doctor in Congress. Like that's Mm -hmm. Dr. Kim Schreier from Washington State. Mm -hmm. So everyone's been hearing all these conversations that we've been having this season on the podcast, particularly around Congress. There's only one woman in there who really knows what she's talking about. Like Mm -hmm. there's only one like black woman nurse like Lauren Underwood, who really knows what she's talking about. So people are constantly always having these conversations about our body, y'all, and there's not anyone there. And legislating on our bodies. Legislating on our bodies. And they can't even name all the body parts. All they know is they want to control them. Listen, they don't even know how the reproductive system works. There are bills across the country that that are there's there are legislatures saying you can reverse the abortion pill. It's not medically possible. And and they are or or uh, passing bills about ectopic pregnancies. These are things that that they don't understand how it works. They don't understand reproductive health. And it isn't even about health. It is about controlling people. It is about controlling women, controlling black women, brown women, and ensuring that we don't, they don't, they don't want us to have control over our bodies. They don't want us to be truly free. And I'm about freedom. Um, so that's why I'm here. <laughs> I love here, here. I love it. I love that she said that. I was actually like, a part of a conversation with Alexis like last week. And that's what she was talking about. So Alexis McGill Johnson, everyone, the president and CEO of Planned Parenthood, check out her episode. It's the first episode of the season. Yeah. And like she was talking about freedom too. And I love that. And when we talk about Congress, like I always tell people I want more women in Congress, but then there's also that petty side of me. I'm like, I can't wait for Congress to be majority women. And I just want them to be really petty and introduce like <laughs> bills like banning Viagra. Yeah. Like I want them to like, yeah. no, like that's Ashanti's <laughs> petty side. So when y'all hear me like, of course I want a majority woman in Congress. Cause I'm also like, yeah. Cause I want them to mess with the men, like the way exactly. that they mess with us. Like exactly. they wouldn't know what to do. But keeping with Congress and everything that is happening, I also want to talk about the domestic gag rule. And immediately right out of the gate, the Biden-Harris administration took its first step toward rescinding the domestic gag rule. And that came out of the Trump-Pence administration overhaul of regulations governing the Title X National Family Planning Program. And of course, that was done via a presidential memorandum. And I want to talk about this a little bit because particularly with Black women, we just know that there's a history of people trying to control our family planning. We hear stories like 
back of like our ancestors where they would go into the hospital for something and like come out with their like ovaries and female parts missing because people decided to take them out that Mm -hmm. they are going to control our bodies. We unfortunately saw this happen with some of our Latina sisters who have been in these like awful compounds, what's happening to them. Like we're hearing stories about people giving them hysterectomies when they didn't need them. And we know that a lot of black women have been the whistleblowers saying that this is happening. So let's talk a little bit about the domestic gag rule and why this is important that the Biden-Harris administration is taking these steps. So I can can start. Um, The domestic gag rule is, uh, uh, in short, uh, it has two parts. Uh, The rule that was put in place by the Trump administration, and Carmen is the the policy expert on the call, so correct me if I get any of this wrong, Carmen, but the uh, first part of the rule says that you cannot receive federal family planning funding and also refer patients for abortion. You cannot give them any information about abortion. The second part of the rule is that you cannot provide abortion in the same physical space as where you are providing traditional family planning, I say traditional, but other family planning services, including uh, birth control uh, or education about or consultation about birth birth options, adoption, etc. Not being able to provide in the same place uh, or even give information to patients makes Planned Parenthood, made Planned Parenthood's participation in the, in the Title X program impossible. Uh, it's a, an issue of ethics uh, that our, our healthcare providers would not be able to provide full healthcare to their patients. If a patient has a medical issue or wants an abortion, you should be able to get an abortion at, uh, as part of your family planning. And if you want an abortion, you should be able to know where to get uh, obtain that health care service safely. Uh, it is legal in all 50 states. And um, so the Title X program is a 50-year family planning program, 50-year-old family planning program that provides coverage for birth control and other other screenings, reproductive health screenings that uh, Planned Parenthood and many other health providers no longer participate in. And with uh, now there are crisis pregnancy centers that don't provide any family planning. Uh, they don't even provide condoms uh, or any sex education or reproductive edu- health education. They only their goal is to support people in choosing to go forward with pregnancy, and they don't provide any reproductive, uh, any birth control. That's that's sort of their mission. They have, they were never allowed in the program because the program is a family planning program. Uh, but under the Trump administration, they were allowed to apply and receive that funding. There are places in the country now. Uh, because of this, where people have no access to that kind of health care, reproductive health care. There are no Title X grantees uh, in, in some states and in some in states where the, where we are providing the service, where cobbling people are cobbling together funds or people are having to pay out of pocket. Uh, so it is important that the Biden-Harris administration has taken this first step uh, to rescind the rule, but it, w- it was done through rulemaking, which is a complicated 
process in the federal government. I also used to work at the Office of Management and Budget, which handles rulemaking, but it's a complicated multi-year process uh, that you can't just turn back with the flip of a switch. So the Biden-Harris administration has said they're going to review the rule, but it may take a while to get through uh, to get through with the change. In the meantime, uh, the Supreme Court, though, has agreed uh, to look at the challenge that Planned Parenthood, the American Medical Association, and several other organizations, uh, this lawsuit that we filed against the Trump administration about the legality of the of the the domestic gag, gag rule. Um, so the court has said they're going to consider that. That may happen uh, in the, later this year. Uh, so there are a couple ways that this can that this can happen. But we are optimistic with, about what the Biden Harris administration has done thus far. How about you, Carmen? Um, I was just going to acknowledge, like, thank you for running down that bill because I didn't I didn't know much about the nuts and bolts of the rescindance of the. Um, domestic gag rule because it was just a firestorm during the Trump administration. Everything was a firestorm. Reactive, reactive, reactive. Everything yes. was a firestorm. <laughs> Every Friday at five o'clock, there was something new. They love to do things on Fridays at five Yeah, just like, <laughs> right. why can't you let people enjoy their weekends? Like, just can't let us have anything. Yeah. Nothing nice for four years. Four years. That's funny because that's the truth. It would be on Friday afternoons. <laughs> like they love to mess with us. Yeah. Like, oh, you thought you was going to Netflix this weekend? Guess what? Here you go. I feel like I saw a headline in one of, maybe it was one of the political tip sheets. It was like the first, the first weekend. It was after impeachment after inauguration and impeachment, it was like the first non-Trump weekend. Will we get a weekend? (laughs) (laughs) Um, But with other steps that they could take, I know that, you know, administrative rule and um, executive orders, they take a while to to develop and move through. But I'm just really encouraged and glad of um, the Biden-Harris leadership in the first you know, what is this, the first month mm-hmm. um, of their administration that they, they have taken steps and they've shown continued solidarity to the things that they had expressed on the campaign trail. And I, the one thing I forgot to add is that I think the goal is also to, to review the rule, but in reviewing it, they have an opportunity to modernize the program. It's a 50-year-old program that uh, deserves another look at, at the, the funding structures and sort of how what, what services are covered and how they are covered. Uh, so it is also an opportunity, again, to expand access and, and to really modernize the program and, and, and build back better. That's what that's that's the motto, the motto. BBB, build yeah. back better. So Melanie, Melanie, Carmen, I've enjoyed this conversation. So I want to close this out by asking each of you, what are your hopes for the future of black women's health care within the next four years under the Biden Harris administration? It can be whoever wants to go first. My hopes, my hopes for the next four years with this Biden-Harris administration is a continued commitment to pushing through the Momnibus Act of um, 2021. Um, before she was VP, our Senator Harris was definitely a, a major voice in putting that together. 
And so we just hope that it will continue all the way um, through passage. Another thing I'm hoping for the next four years is support and investment in HBCUs, especially those with. Uh, I was waiting for the okay. snaps for Melanie. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> always, always. We, we want more investment in HBCUs. <laughs> That's right. My my goal is that at least one or two of them will have schools of midwifery, or building up that um, maternal health and healthcare workforce with more Black providers because it's been shown that it's Black OBGYNs, Black midwives and nurses Mm -hmm. and care providers who um, then have um, families with the best birth outcomes. So if we know that to be true, we can go ahead and put more time, money, and investment Mm -hmm. to our HBCUs. Yes, Fam Rattler over here. I'm always down for more HBCU funding. I totally agree. My hope is that the commitment to health equity uh, that I've seen from this administration, particularly as it relates to the COVID-19 crisis, translates into impact, into real impact and real um, lives saved. Uh, I think what I've seen in the first, I think, 50 days or so of this administration is really encouraging. I today learned that All of my family members over the age of 50 have been vaccinated and they all live in the South in red states. And I uh, have been overwhelmed all day because to to make it alive, uh, alive this long, um, long enough to be vaccinated. Um, Some of them have just had their first shot, but uh, my mother is 82 years old. She is fully immunized now. She she got her shots two weeks ago. To make it this long, uh, given what what we've seen in black and brown communities, and then to to be a, to be able to access the, the vaccine as they have just brings me so much relief and so much joy. And I look forward to that health equity uh, work translating into improved outcomes for black and brown people across the country. I'm with you on the COVID vaccine. I was talking to my aunt the other day. I called her and I was like, you sound like you're driving. She's like, yeah, I just got my first shot. You know, it's like, I'm in the first group. And I keep forgetting that my aunt is like that old. Like it always, <laughs> I remember one time we went out to dinner and she ordered like the senior citizen meal. <laughs> my brothers are in their fifties. My brothers are older than me. My young, my youngest brother is 55. He just turned 55. So he just made, he turned 55 a couple weeks ago and he just made the cutoff in his state. Yeah, my brothers are younger. Well, that's great news. <laughs> Thank you. I know there's so many families who uh, can't say the same. So I just feel extraordinarily blessed. And I hope that more people can feel blessed by the administration really centering equity the way I think they plan to. Yeah, it's just the difference mm-hmm. from only a few weeks ago with how the vaccine rollout has been just really improved. Yeah, it's like you made me realize like, oh, I'm... My brothers are younger, but I'm older. I'm like, oh my gosh, they're going to be my age soon. And that's freaking me out. Like that just freaked me out. (laughs) That they were just teasing me a few weeks ago. And I'm like, you're going to be this age one day. (laughs) 
Melanie, Carmen, thank you so much for joining us. I said it once, I'll say it again. Thank you for all that you do in centering Black women in your work that you do every day and lifting us up, especially in healthcare. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much. Thank you. And we'll catch everyone on the next episode. Thank you so much to all of our listeners. Please take time to rate and review wherever you listen to podcasts. For more information on the BGG, check us out at thebgguide.com and on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at The BG Guide. The BGG podcast is produced by Wonder Media Network. You can find them at wondermianetwork.com. Thank you to our sponsor of this episode, Planned Parenthood Federation of America. Care no matter what. Until next time, brown girls.